0: Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number three. We have been preaching through the book of Acts together, verse by verse, and we are all the way to chapter three already. Only like 26 chapters to go, 27, 24, somewhere along there. Uh, but if you recall, Last time we were in the book of Acts in chapter 2, we looked at how the church continued. They continued uh, in the fellowship and in prayers and in doctrine. And and we looked at all of those things and how we also, uh, in our day and age as a church, can continue in those things. And then picking up in chapter 3, we find the account of Peter healing the lame man at the temple. You know, this is kind of a crazy time to be alive you know it is kind of a crazy time to be alive but not just with everything going on but just with the the shift in culture and the shift in what the general population believes in our country and and really worldwide that you know now right is wrong and wrong is right and uh, you can't really read the news or watch the. nobody watches the news anymore right not in here can't really read the news anymore without having to consider the source. It used to be uh, that uh, you could kind of have, you kind of trusted a news anchor to just deliver the news, not so much uh, spin a narrative. But now you can't, you can't trust the source anymore. And and now instead of having security and prosperity, it's uncertainty, and nobody trusts anybody anymore, and everybody's pitted against each other, and everybody's taking sides. And it's just tempting as a Christian in a day and age like that to throw up your hands and say, let's buy some uh, property somewhere and build a, a fence around it and just wait till Jesus comes. We will, you know, <laughs> hold the fort, as it were. The fact of the matter is, though, as Christians, we have never been enough on our own. You know, we, we have never had all the answers in and of ourselves. We were never enough on our own. No matter what society the church has found itself surrounded by, our power has never been found in the programs we produce, but rather in the person of Jesus Christ. And even in times like these, we have to determine, as we looked at last time, to move forward and to continue, not in our own strength, but in the limitless power that God supplies. And we have picked up here in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 12, and then we'll examine uh, this passage together. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, All the people ran together unto them into the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? Just a few years ago, Hurricane Laura made landfall in Cameron, Louisiana. That was 2020. 2020. What's interesting about that particular storm, or what I found interesting about it, is that you all here in Houston lost power some 200 miles away. The cause for those outages was damaged infrastructure of the utility company. There were several key power lines that were damaged, and drastic measures had to be taken to ensure that the entire grid wouldn't go down. And so they directed power away from the damaged areas Which produced blackouts here in Texas. It's a weakness that's been uncovered before, but not quite resolved yet. Because of a damaged system, hundreds of thousands went without power hundreds of miles away. There's a power that is far more vital to us than that which the utility companies provide. We kind of notice when the power goes out these days, don't we? There's a power that is far more vital to us than that. And we as believers should be completely dependent on it. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Look at this part. According to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Are you dependent upon the power of God? Do you live by His power every single day? I love the book of Judges. I like reading through that book. and I love the stories that are left there for us and the examples that are given to us. But there's one particular point in the book of Judges that sobers me up a little bit and scares me a little bit. It's the story of Samson. Samson was, you know, he's one of my favorites even as a kid. Why? Well, because he's like a biblical superhero, right? Walks up to the gates of the city, picks them up, and walks away with them. Just incredible feats of strength. And I don't think he was this big, burly man as As, uh, you know, art would depict him, I think he was a short little Jew that did some incredible things, tore a line in half, picked up the city gates, did all sorts of incredible things through the strength of the Holy Spirit, which had filled him for that particular service. But there's a portion in Samson's life where the Bible says that the Spirit of God left him. And this is the part that scares me, where it says in Judges 16, 20, I don't know that I've got it there for you, but I'm just quoting it for you, that he wist not, or he did not know, that the Lord was departed from him. When the Spirit of God left Samson, the Bible says he didn't know it. He had no idea. He expected to have victory over the Philistines as he had before, but when he went out, he realized he was powerless. If the power of God left your life, would you notice? Would you notice? As we look at the New Testament church once again, you'll find there are three keys here in this particular passage to drawing on this limitless power that God supplies. And the first one there is Prayer, the key of prayer. It says in verse 1 that Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. We find that for the early church and for the apostles, that they had this priority of prayer. We find the priority of prayer. Prayer was a consistent a presence in the life of the early New Testament church. They prayed all the time. Every time we see them getting together, we find that they are praying. And here we find Peter and John going up to the temple for the purpose of prayer. If you can get a hold of anything by E.M. Bounds on prayer, it would be good for you. You won't learn anything new, but you will want to pray more. And one of my favorite quotes from E.M. Bounds on prayer is this. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. You know, I believe that the Christians in this nation pray more than ever before every time an election cycle comes around. We face crises and circumstances that we never imagined that we would face. And I do believe that it drives people to pray. And I do find in the scriptures that the early church did pray intensely in times of crisis. But the fact of the matter is that it was not the only time that the church prayed. It wasn't only when things went wrong that prayer mattered to them. It wasn't only when it looked like some... some Somebody that might be uh, harmful to the church was, would get into political power. It wasn't just times like that. They prayed all the time. Prayer was a priority for the church. Prayer for the church was just as normal and routine to them as eating or working together. They prayed together all the time. Where does the priority of prayer rank in your own life? What time have you given to prayer? Just prior to this chapter in Acts 2.42, which we looked at before, we find that it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They prayed constantly. It was a part of everything that they did. How does prayer rank in your own life? Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach which is something coming from somebody that taught a lot of men to preach. He said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. D.L. Moody, another great preacher, said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach but to pray. Jesus, teaches us to pray. Andrew Murray wrote, God's child can conquer anything by prayer. Is it any wonder that Satan does his utmost to snatch that weapon from the Christian or to hinder him in the use of it? Prayer should be a priority for all of us and for the church. And then notice the pattern of prayer. The pattern of prayer. Prayer was a regular scheduled activity for the disciples, for the apostles, and for the church. This hour of prayer observed at the temple was something that was, you know, a constant regular activity. But what we find is that the apostles, even after the ascension of Christ, made the hour of prayer a part of their regular routine. They continued in this routine. They continued in the pattern of prayer. Is prayer a part of your own routine? John Bunyan said that he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. Where does prayer in your routine? The disciples had prayer as a regular scheduled activity in their life. The ninth hour would be about three in the afternoon. And Peter and John went together at about three o'clock in the afternoon to pray at the temple. The church that prays is a powerful church. It's a church that God can use. It's a church that God can use. Prayer is often an afterthought. An afterthought. You know, there's a story of a woman that came to her pastor and she was distraught about her situation and everything, and he said, well, let's pray. And she said, has it come to that? <laughs> prayer for us is often an afterthought. We, we, we exercise prayer when everything else hasn't panned out. But I love the challenge by the great missionary Hudson Taylor, where he says that the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, we should answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. We could always pray more. We find that before Peter and John perform this miracle in the temple that causes quite an uproar and gives them the opportunity to preach the gospel to a crowd, we find them going to pray. That's why they were there in the first place. The key to prayer. What about the power line of prayer in your life? Is the power line of prayer in your life something that you use, that you tap into, that is functioning, or or could that particular portion of your grid be down? The key of prayer. And then notice their purpose. The key of purpose. Peter and John understood that as followers of Christ, they had a purpose to fulfill. And we see that in the way that they respond to this beggar. It says in verses 2 through 6, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, "Look on us." And he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, "Silver and gold by none but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We see in the way they responded to this beggar that they understood their purpose as followers of Jesus Christ, and we see that first of all, in that they saw the needs of others. The, the follower of Jesus Christ is someone who is seeing the needs of others, seeing the needs of others. You know what's interesting about the fact that there is a lame man at the temple is it points out for us in this passage that he was placed there every day. Every day they carried him and put him at this particular gate. Since he was born, he had been lame. And it was the routine that every day he was by this gate at the temple in Jerusalem. Apparently... Not every lame man in Jerusalem was healed by Jesus. This man remained lame. Jesus' timing is always perfect. Jesus tells us that there is a purpose and an end to our suffering. And Jesus left this man unhealed, which enabled him to be a testimony to the ministry and the message of the apostles. This man went unhealed by Christ, even though Jesus visited the temple many times while he walked the earth. And the apostles healed him, and it gave them an opportunity to preach the gospel. But what I love about Peter is Peter saw the man's need. The Bible says he fastened his eyes on him it indicates a strong focus. Peter looked directly at this man, looked in his eyes, and focused on this individual. I think that oftentimes as Christians, maybe, maybe many times as Christians, that we get so busy and so occupied even in our worship that we fail to notice the needs of others. Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. They had a purpose for being there. They were going together as two apostles to pray at the temple. But as they're walking into the temple, they see this beggar and they focus on him. They were on their way to the temple to worship, to pray together. But they didn't let that get in the way of meeting the needs of somebody else. I think a lot of times in the American church, we come together, we rush into church on a Sunday morning we sit down in our favorite pew, we listen to the preaching, we eat our lunch, we go home and we forget what the Bible says. How does the Bible say that we are to fulfill the law of Christ? Galatians 6.2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That means that when we come together as a church family Our concern, our attention, our time, our effort should go beyond ourselves, should go beyond our families, and extend to others. This is the message of Philippians chapter two, where it says in verses three through seven: Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each Esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That doesn't mean be a busybody. That means don't be so focused on yourself and your own life and your own problems and your own needs and your own activities and your own busyness that you don't pay attention to anyone else around you. We as Christians are to esteem others, give others a higher place in our minds than ourselves. And when we come together as a church, we should be looking for opportunities to bear someone else's burden and fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Because our example is Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We come together not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give our lives for one another. Colonel Sanders, I think you all know who that is. Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken was on an airplane There was a baby on that airplane who would not stop screaming. No matter what the mother or the flight attendant tried to do, they tried every trick in the book. And finally, Colonel Sanders got up and asked if he could hold the baby. He gently rocked the little baby to sleep. And later, as they were deboarding, one of the passengers tapped Colonel Sanders on the shoulder and said, We sure appreciate what you did for us. And Colonel Sanders said, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the baby. Are we serving others to in some way satisfy ourselves? Think about your own life, your own part in the ministry. Why are you doing what you do? Why are you active in the role that you are active in? Somebody told me recently, and they're not here this morning, but well, you know, I have responsibilities. Is that really why you're here? You have responsibilities? Or are we bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ? You can fulfill your responsibilities and bear burdens. Are we serving others in some way to satisfy ourselves, to feel good when we go home that we've checked the box and we've met our our responsibilities for the week? Or are we like Christ in a spirit of humility looking for ways to bear someone else's burden? Peter and John going to the temple to pray looked on the needs of this man. And not only that, we see them meeting the needs of others meeting the needs of others. They saw his need and they met the need. They couldn't offer any silver or gold, but they offered him instead a manifestation of God's power. It reminds me of the story of the time in medieval days when Thomas Aquinas visited the Pope. and The Pope was showing Thomas all the chests of the riches from around the world. And with a smile on his face, the Pope said, You see, Brother Thomas, we cannot say as did Peter, silver and gold have I none. Thomas looked at the Pope and fearlessly replied, No, but neither can we say, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What are we to be doing as Christians? We are to be meeting the needs of others. Meeting the needs of others. 1 John three sixteen through 18 says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We like to read that verse and think that I'd take a bullet for someone in my church. But That's not what it's talking about. Look what it says next. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Does your care for others, particularly other members of this church, go beyond words? Christopher Searcy was playing basketball with his friends in 1998 when he was shot in the chest and the bullet perforated his aorta. His friends helped him get within 40 feet of the entrance to Ravenwood Hospital in Chicago. And then they ran inside and asked the hospital staff for help, but the staff refused to help, saying it was against hospital policy to administer aid to those outside the hospital. Eventually, a policeman was able to get a wheelchair and wheeled Christopher inside the hospital where he was finally attended to by the hospital staff, but it was too late, and Christopher died an hour later. We think, well, how ridiculous is that? Nurses and doctors that won't even step outside the door to help a dying man. But many times it seems that churches are surrounded by people that desperately need to hear the gospel that desperately need the joy and the hope and the fulfillment that we have in Christ, people that are hurting and needing yet, unless somebody drags them through the doors, we're not going to meet the needs. And I would say that even as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we are through these doors, we don't adequately meet each other's needs. Are you seeking opportunities to bear another's burden and fulfill the law of Christ? Is the power line of purpose active in your life? Of prayer, of purpose. The apostles, Peter and John, knew that they were there for a purpose and they did not just walk by this individual. And then we see power in verses 7 through 12. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he which was sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? There's power in the name of the Lord. The power to heal the lame man was not Peter's power. It was the Holy Spirit working through Peter, and Jesus said, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The glory and the honor for all the good that is accomplished through our work for the Lord belongs to Him and not of us, because without Him, we can do nothing. God healed this man with mighty power, and the apostles instantly give testimony to the power of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not on us. When we focus as Christians on bringing glory to his name, we realize who it is we are working for. Everything we do, all that we are, should be to please our Savior, Jesus Christ, in his name. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, Or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And immediately the apostles give the glory back to God. They heal this man in the name of Christ. Do your actions bring glory to God the Father? Does his power work in you and through you to those that are around you? There's power in the name of the Lord. There's power in praising the Lord. What happens here is that this man that was healed, as he was walking and leaping and praising God... This man's personal testimony became a really effective witnessing tool. Never be afraid to use your own personal testimony as a tool to witness to others. I had a a pastor who always would say, no one can argue with your testimony. (laughs) The fact that God has changed the lives of others is a powerful example that can stir interest in the gospel. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. This man is healed, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God, and we see a crowd gather around Peter. And what I like about Peter is he didn't take an offering. He didn't sell any merchandise. He preached the gospel. He saw the crowd as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And when God uses you to accomplish something incredible, remember where the power came from and focus the glory and the praise and the, and the attention back to him. In 1971, the eyes of millions of Americans were upon the Apollo 15 mission. Astronauts David Scott and James Irwin "'landed on the moon and spent 18 of their 66 hours "'outside the spacecraft. "'They covered over 17 miles of the surface "'in a vehicle people dubbed the moon buggy. "'And upon coming back to Earth, "'James Irwin, who is or was a professed Christian believer, "'declared, as I was returning, "'I realized that I am not a celebrity, but a servant. "'So I am here as God's servant on planet Earth "'to share what I have experienced.' that others may know the glory of God. You'll probably never be a a moon-traveling astronaut and get that much attention. But all of us can have that same spirit, the spirit of a servant, that no matter how much attention comes our way, we give all the glory and honor to God. There's no shortage of power with God. He provides limitless power. Sometimes it seems like the world around us has all the power, all the authority, all of the influence. False teachers have an imitation of power. Revelation 13 even tells us that the Antichrist will have great power. Incredible things. But the Bible preaches and teaches that Jesus has all the power. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore in light of that teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Christ has all the power, limitless power. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What power drives and motivates you exactly? Are you tapped into the limitless power that God supplies through prayer, through understanding that as a Christian, you're not here for yourself. You're here for a purpose. You have a purpose to fulfill. And part of that purpose is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. We can do many things at our own strength, But through God, we have the power to do impossible things. Are you drawing on that power every single day? Or are we like Samson, who if that power was gone, we wouldn't even notice. We wouldn't even notice. Why is our walk with God sometimes a crawl? Why is there a lack for passion for our Savior who gave everything for us? Why do we have a lack of victory over sin in the average Christian life? Why the lack of power to shake this world for Christ as the early Christians did? Billy Sunday said, He that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. Is the power line in good repair in your life? Why is it? Why is it? Do I... Does the church seem powerless? Does the church seem ineffective? Why is it? Well, maybe, just maybe, the grid's down. The power is available, but only if we're willing to tap into it and be yielded to it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for our time of invitation. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you in particular this morning, but I trust that He has. We want to give you an opportunity to pray and respond to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you even have eternal life or a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of this seems so very foreign to you. We want you to know that the Bible tells us that we can know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life. There is something after death. and The Bible tells us that we can know what that something is and whether or not we'll spend that life with Christ in heaven. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? If you don't, we would love to take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know that. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have about these things. But However God is working in your heart, and leading you, you do business with him as the piano plays and in a moment we'll sing together.